0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com.
2: World Central Kitchen is serving thousands of fresh meals to Ukrainian families fleeing home, as well as people remaining in the country. This week on Let's Talk About Food, host Louisa Kasdan spoke with Henry Patterson about his upcoming relief trip.
0: So you're going to Poland, and I think you told me you're going to be there for at least two weeks. I'm going to Poland to help feed Ukrainian refugees. With Jose Andreas's World Central Kitchen, I decided that's what I wanted to do for my 70th birthday. I leave in just a few days. We all see that what the Russians are doing is contemptible. As a food person, we all love to help. It's in our DNA. And here are people who really need our help. So if you want to help the Ukrainian refugees, either with money or even your hands and heart, find hashtag chefs for Ukraine and World Central Kitchen. We have to do something. We can help. Remember, hashtag chefs for ukraine
2: Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Dyed Green. I'm Max Sussman.
3: And I'm Kate McCabe. We're doing things a little bit differently today on Dyed Green, Because for the first time on our show, we are not talking about food at all.
2: What are we talking about?
3: We are talking about the city of Derry in the north of Ireland. We have two guests on our show, both of whom are born and raised in Derry. Paul Doherty was a founding member of the Bloody Sunday Justice Campaign and currently runs Bogside History Tours. And... Kira O'Connor Pozo, who is a project manager at the Museum of Free Dairy. We're really excited about this intergenerational conversation that we have today. Paul's personal story is particularly significant to the story of dairy um, because his father, Patrick, was killed on Bloody Sunday. Bloody Sunday is one of the most infamous events in modern Irish history. On Sunday, January 30th, 1972, As an anti-internment march in Derry drew to an end, British paratroopers attacked the marchers, shooting dead 13 unarmed civilians, six of them still legally children, and wounding another 18, one of whom subsequently died. This marked the end of the civil rights campaign in the north of Ireland.
2: Um, We visited Derry, and we actually went on Paul's walking tour. And so it was pretty cool to be able to Now that we've founded our own company that brings people to Ireland and takes them on tours, it was actually super interesting to talk to Paul about not just his experience with the aftermath of Bloody Sunday, which we do talk about, but also with his experience as being a tour guide, which I don't, it's probably not something that he um, gets asked about super frequently. I think that that made the conversation particularly interesting.
3: Well, we wanted to include Kira's voice because she is somebody who basically grew up in the aftermath of the peace agreement that ended the fighting. Um, And so her impressions of what Derry is like and her experience growing up in that city is markedly different from Paul's experience. And so we talk a little bit about that on today's show. And we bring a little bit of pop culture into it as well.
2: Yeah, but you'll have to stick around to the end of the interview for that, right? Every episode on this show so far has been pretty explicitly about food, but we're also really interested in broader cultural issues. So to us, it made a lot of sense to talk to these folks about dairy and about what is important to them as people involved in the tourism industry, but also involved in a historically significant political struggle as well, and how those two things combine in their life and in their work.
3: You know, it's interesting that you say that too, because as somebody who has spent a very significant amount of time in the North, I think, you know, it would be almost impossible to travel there as a tourist and to avoid some of the conflict-related tourism opportunities that exist there, it's hard to really go, even if you're just going to learn about the food history, to not also learn about the political history of the area. And, you know, as we've discussed on previous shows, um, food history is political, so.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just to reiterate, like, what we we love about traveling to Ireland and what we hope to show through the show and... And with our tours is just really how unique and how personal a lot of those stories are. So being able to share that on this podcast is pretty special and important to us. I agree. Well, here's our interview with Paul and Kira. Thanks for listening.
4: Yeah, well, my dad was one of the, the 13 victims of Bloody Sunday. Uh, Bloody Sunday basically was a massacre carried out by the British Army, um, endorsed by the British Military Command and the Unionists and British governments at the time, because this was an anti-internment civil rights demonstration where 20,000 people were going to walk the streets of Derry and demand the release of the political prisoners and the ending of the injustice of internment. A high-level decision was made to deploy a group of so-called crack soldiers who were who were had, were brought into Belfast from, from the Aidan emergency, and these soldiers had a reputation in Belfast of being tough and aggressive, and, and really could do what they wanted with, with impunity. So that decision to deploy them in the Derry to a so-called arrest operation, then the arrest operation they said to go wrong, and they came under sustained gunfire from IRA gunmen on the bog side when they didn't, and within a period of minutes in the bog side, they murdered these people. And they wounded the same number of people over a period of 10 to 15 minutes. So, anybody who went on that march that day probably would never have believed that if you go on a march, the likelihood you okay. could be killed. But they were. This was a, a decision by the military to, to end or to answer the Free dairy, the people in Free Dairy that we are not going to tolerate the, the IRA being in there and being in contr- control. So if we don't get the IRA, activists and whoever, we get their, get their so-called friends or supporters or their families. So when the parachute soldiers who were only, draft, as I said, drafted in from Belfast that morning, entered the box side, they would not have known one of what they would call the players or the hooligans, as they called them, whatever. So they randomly picked out mainly male targets, although a few women were, were, were wounded on Bloody Sunday, and shot them dead. They acted with impunity, they acted... Without a care or a thought, who might see them because they were told to do this and they would be protected. The difference between Bloody Sunday and some of the massacres that happened at the time, the media were here and the media witnessed in horror people's bodies just bunching off the pavements, basically, as well. So when they reported that back, there was a frantic, frantic exercise by the British Army and the British governments to, to now tell lies about the people who had been lowered under their graves, basically, as terrorists and gunmen. Then they would order an inquiry. The inquiry would hear very, very carefully hand-picked witnesses reading few statements of people who were asked to give statements and would report back to the Parliament, the British Parliament, 11 weeks later. The British Parliament would then debate it and then they would accept the findings of it. So the families of the dead were left with no answers, all the lies in Indiendo and no help at all. So it was only when twenty years went by that the families started speaking about our family. Do I recall spoke nothing about Bloody Sunday for twenty years. So then we started campaigning and talking to each other. And the like, guy worked with Liam Ray, whose brother was murdered. I worked with Barney, Barney McWiggan's son, Charlie, and we never spoke about it at all. So then when we did, we got the campaign going. We got a new inquiry. about last, I could go on all day about that. Twelve years, two hundred million pounds. And a a report which the judges were compelled to make because of the honest and truthful accounts that people 26 or 28 years later were were, were asked to come back and relive the horror of what they saw. So we were vindicated. We showed the world what ordinary people can do. And we showed the world if you're determined, maybe a bit lucky in a sense as well, and if you keep going, you'll end up with, with the justice that you deserve. Yes, it did take 50 years. It took us 50 years to get where we were. And if we hadn't did it, it would never have been addressed ever again.
2: I wanted to know about what the role of tourism is in hmm. in telling the story and in, in the advocacy part. How important tourism is, because a lot of people think of tourism as like, oh, I'm going to go on vacation. Yeah. I'm going to see this beach yeah. or, mm-hmm. you know, eat this food for us especially. <laughs> but then... You know with the museum and with the tours mm-hmm. you know you're it's very reliant i would assume on people coming from from abroad yeah to learn about these things so what's the what's the background and how do those things kind of come together
5: yeah. it's funny you were asking about dark tourism because um a few months ago i went into um my favorite bookshop in Derry called little acorns and uh which is a great bookshop and anyone that goes to Derry has to go to little acorns but uh, and Jenny who owns the bookshop she showed me this book and it was like called something like the dark tourism traveler's guide or you know it was it was a dark tourism guide and the museum was in there so it was it was interesting to see that the museum of free Derry was in there and it hadn't actually maybe that's really silly of me but it hadn't occurred to me before that people would come to the museum as sort of dark tourists. It hadn't occurred to me that we could be a dark tourism destination, but I suppose the site of any massacre maybe would be. I think the way that we present it in the museum, though, I don't think it's it's gratuitous or I don't think it's gory. So maybe people might come to Derry seeking, you know, something that's very sort of gory, And but, but I don't necessarily think that they find that, you know, because... The museum was set up by relatives, so it's not presented in that sort of way. If someone came into the museum, though, and they were asking questions like that, they would get shut down pretty quickly, I think, because, you know, we have to be respectful. And that's always like people are very welcome to ask questions, (coughs) but, you know, there has to be respect and you know, and it would if if I were a tourist some somewhere else, and it was, you know, a very sensitive or you know painful history, you know, I would be respectful there. So you just hope that people show the same respect. Although it's natural they have curiosity, but I don't know darts probably gives us all the time. Aye,
4: well, I've been doing my own stuff ten odd years now, <clears throat> my own company, uh, nine years. I don't really actually sit very comfortably with a dark tourism description. But, you know, you can understand if you're talking about, in general, civil rights and Bloody Sunday, well, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a subject and a half. And tourism in Derry is rapidly increasing on in all fronts. But what I've learned over, over the, the period of time of taking tourism, I mean, you learn a lot about yourself, and you learn a lot about your city. People are here on vacation. Not only are you an ambassador for your city, but you're telling the story and you're telling a very truthful account of what happened. So when I began with an R company, Free Dairy Tours, I was sort of um, not really just telling the story, but not really um, telling who I was or my involvement, or my, what happened to, to my, my personal story. So, then I did it one or, once or twice, and I thought, you know, this is very important that people, that people do know who we are and, and what we're doing. So, I started doing that, and I found a massive interest in it. A massive, I mean, and again, I mean, the local, I'm not going to criticise anybody, but the local establishments and, and city council and stuff for years were, not avoiding the story, but very nervous about the story. And then we did sit down with him and talk about so-called dark tourism and where we're going to go with it, as well. And you know, and these fine people go away with a good sense of um, we learned something here, not just the And next we walk around the city walls, and it's grand and it's lovely and it's whatever, but the the, the, the I suppose the dark aspect of this you're telling a really harrowing story. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you lighten up that story and 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 how do you Make people enjoy the tour for want of it is. One, you have to have a certain bit of a bit of humour about you. I mean, when we go around, we introduce who we are, what we are, and what we're going to talk about. And I just tell them we're going to do this, that, and the other. But, you know, naturally, you'll tell a couple of funny stories that happened during the conflict. And you could go on and on about the, the, the funny stories. But, you know, and people would describe this on TripAdvisor, and we were laughing, and then we were crying, and then we were laughing. And the end of the tour is the most important part because you're explaining what happened. And before I enter the Bogside from the guilt hall, and you did the tour yourself, I want to make sure that people know the plan, that this wasn't an accident, and this was this was perpetrated. This is where people died. I don't want to do too much details about the injuries and whatever, but you're certainly telling them where people died here and people died there, and that's what happened. But you can sort of see where people are coming from. They're coming to hear a harrowing And it's a harrowing story at the end of it. But, you know, if if I didn't lighten that up along the way, I I wouldn't be doing the justice or myself justice as well.
5: So you have um, tourists coming who are paying a lot of money to be entertained by tragedy. Mm. And so, you know, there's a way to do it respectfully and there's a way to do it where you are just looking for something that's very sort of uh, salacious and it's very sort of... um, you know, that sort of vicarious thrill you get from, this is a site of a massacre, you know, and it's very gory. So I suppose there's a way to do it respectfully. And maybe, like, hopefully people might, they might come initially looking for that type of tourism, um, which is quite voyeuristic as well, I think. And hopefully they leave, you know, with a more sort of well-rounded account of events and and with um, a Mm. newfound sort of respect. That's, that's
4: the hope. I respect that each and every person comes on my tour once they hear the story and they get a great sense of, of, of the story. People will say, well, it's the best thing we've done in Ireland. We travel around Ireland every three weeks. That's the best thing we've done. Now, to me, that's remarkable. And it's very, very self-satisfactory for me because we are not only tour gates. We're representing the city, but we're also representing the story of Bloody Sunday and the Bloody Sunday families, and I described that the people how ordinary we were, how ordinary the people were, and how ordinary this march was, but how extraordinary the events that unfolded after it as well, and people certainly get an entertaining tour, an education, and if you don't get about a bit of banter a bit of, if we say in Ireland about a crack, well I don't think you'd be doing it. No, it's not. It's not that you can add about a bit of banter about a bit of crack on the, on the serious serious tour. But if you go off the subject and tell some funny stories about about the Troubles, one's a great one about Dermy McClellan. Did you hear that story about him? Yeah. Derby's still around, he's older, he goes on to Sandinos and stuff. He was sort of an activist in civil rights. The British Army had just come in. There was a music festival on the bog side, the flat, in 69. And there was a crowd outside his house, and his sister's in the crowd. So he takes a phone call, and the phone call is a family from America. We were from Derry or lived in America, but we were from Derry. And they were cousins of, of his his mum. And Dermy just simply and everybody was anticipating what's the next move. The British Army's here. What are we going to do or what are we going to do? So the the, the, the cousins said, Tell your mother we're coming in September from America for a holiday. She says, No problem, ask grand. But the surname of the family was gone. So he just simply sister says, Who's that on the phone? And he says, It's okay. The guns are coming from America and not everybody was yeah, no, that's a simple simple story. That, no, that people especially the Americans love that story, but it's a true story about you no know, and stuff like that. And there's a lot of wee stories like that that you have to come off the subject and then go back to the subject because you see people and stitches laughing.
1: This episode is brought to you by Root Eleven Potato Chips. From the moment Route 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Route 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit RT11.com.
3: I would like to hear you talk about the museum, but you were born, I think, a year before the Good Friday Agreement was signed. So you grew up in a very different dairy than the one that Paul grew up in. And I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about the legacy of that struggle and how it lives on in in the community
5: yeah sure um well as you said i was born in 1997 and the good friday agreement was voted on in 1998 so obviously i I don't have any memory of it but i do have memories um of being really small and there were still a lot of land rovers you know like the, the army land rovers and today we have like normal um normal police cars. I mean, that in itself is is important because, you know, we made that switch from quite a, like, very sort of militarised police to, you know, police that they're doing a lot more sort of civilian policing. Um, I still, I remembered, you know, a lot of the sort of army watchtowers that were still, you know, left over from, you know, I mean, essentially a foreign army occupying, you know, our streets. Um, But I was lucky enough that... I went to an integrated school and my parents felt it was really important to send me and my brother to an integrated school because, you know, they didn't believe in this whole idea of of segregated education and that you should only stay in your own community. Um,
2: For context, are most of the schools not integrated?
5: Most of the schools are not integrated. Um, you have a lot of Catholic maintained schools and you have state schools, but they tend to be sort of... Mainly they you know the, the the sort of students that they would take in would be from like a Protestant unionist background um and obviously that's the t- you know that's that that's the way our society was for such a long time but it's really when you compare it to you know the rest of Europe and other countries it's a completely bizarre state of affairs you know to have those sort of like ethnic lines really because it's not it's not just about it's not a question of religion it's a question of of um identity and if you're British or if you're Northern Irish or if you're Irish um so yeah and I I still I mean it's still things are still very divided um but we sort of didn't really grow up talking about what background you were from like we kind of knew more or less um but I think we just kind of didn't we had other things to to talk about you know when you're a teenager you don't really Like, all these questions of, like, uh, identity and and, and border poles are not really Mm -hmm. things that we focused on very much. Um, So, yeah, I think um, when I hear the stories from older generations, I do feel lucky because um, maybe it wasn't so apparent growing up, but, you know, maybe people sort of hid things or, or... you know, didn't didn't necessarily want to pass on a lot of the, the hatred and trauma. But I think um, it's become very apparent that everyone was affected and, and the, kind of our parents' generation and grandparents' generation have been very, very affected by it. So it's not something that, you know, we would want to return to. Um, and, I mean, we, we were talking a bit about this earlier, but I think, It was so, everyone was so affected by it that maybe at the time it might have seemed like this is normal. And then, you know, I think that my generation and younger generations, we've been lucky enough to not grow up in that. So it's nearly the contrast. We were like, oh, everyone seems to be sort of traumatised to some level because they were living in a war. Um, So, yeah. And there are some people still today who would like to you know, continue the armed struggle, but, I mean, they're, they're a minority, they're mad, um, and they don't, like, they wouldn't have mainstream support or anything.
2: Basically, 20 years went by,
5: mm-hmm.
2: and I'm wondering if there's, like, a connection there, of, like, how long it took to be able to even speak to other people about events mm. without, you know.
4: thought about that as time is just going so quickly, and it doesn't seem like 50 years. It doesn't seem like 25 years that I chaired the biggest ever demonstrate Bloody Sunday demonstration. You're talking about nearly 40,000 people on that street. That was the culmination of our Bloody Sunday campaign. So that's what I keep going back to, the, the legacy and, and never forgetting. The governments want, they want people to get up and forget. And, I mean, you know, and then, and it suited the agenda at the time after Bloody Sunday. It suited the agenda, put them all in prison be they loyalist Republicans or whatever, and 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 take away their dignity, take away their pride, take away, go up and fill up the graveyards. Fill it up. And again, if Kira to said today, about the romance of it all, no romance at all. We all sing the songs, and we all do it, we all sing the songs about whoever who died. There are, no, there are no romance in their families, and there no no no, no um, romance in their homes, when this sort of, great sort of armed struggle, which to certain attempts, it, it was a very... People will look at it as a very noble sort of thing, to you do, know, although people died on all sides. But, you know, let's, the next generation, get on the university, get your education and use that as your weapon because there's no way that we can ever, ever bring the society back to what that we lived in. Was it normal? It was normal to us. But now, when you look back on it, it was a very, very abnormal way to live your life. Every day, following Coffin's. People getting blown up, people getting... Soldiers being killed, policemen men being killed, IRA being killed, civilians being killed. And it became a normal, normal way of life. But now, it's only after all these years, you look back, it was very, very, very uh, abnormal as well.
5: Um, I think that's why the museum is really important, because it's a space where, you know, people can come in and sort of learn about what happened on Bloody Sunday, and they have a space to ask questions and... You know, and ask you know, s- stupid questions. You know, if they if they really are coming to it with no, no background at all, um, and you know maybe to look at things with with some nuance as well, and and like as Dort said, step away from the romanticism as well of of a really violent time. I think that's why it's really important as well that for the fiftieth anniversary, there was a lot of. Um, young relatives involved Mm, kind of you know for the first time in a lot of you know in in, on different levels um but you know I've had quite a few people say like why you know why should we keep talking about this like it happened 50 years ago get over it you know you're just dredging up the past and you're stirring stirring Mm. things again but you know the answer to these sort of painful histories is never you know to kind of shut it down and, and brush it under the carpet because that has a way of always coming back to you. I think mm. it goes, you know, it also goes down to questions of, you know, who who we are and, you know, how are we treated, you know, and the, the British government still has no idea how to deal with us in the north of Ireland and show that they really don't care about us. You know, this, this potential amnesty bill that they want to bring in, you know, which would effectively just you know, uh, it would be an amnesty for all soldiers. They kind of couch it as it's it's for everyone that was involved in sort of troubles cases. But if it effectively is to, to cover up these, these crimes and, and shut down any kind of investigation. And that means shutting down justice, but it also means denying relatives, you know, the right to move on <clears throat> and closure. And it also means denying my generation closure as well, because all we're left with is still a very divided society where we're not, you know, we're not respected because they're saying sit down and shut up, you know, do what you're told. Um, So, I mean, that's not just wrong as well. It sets a really dangerous precedent because, you know, the, the thing with Bloody Sunday is it's obviously not the only massacre that happened on Irish soil and it's not the only massacre or even the biggest massacre that's happened in the history of the world, but it does set a really dangerous precedent because you have this very powerful government who pride themselves on, you know, they say that they they uphold human rights and the rule of law, and you know they're this supposedly wonderful country, but yet you know they go and and murder, you know, unarmed civilians, and um, and then cover it up, and it just it it gives other governments license to do that, and you know as we know, you know the the U.S. and British governments have have committed terrible atrocities against. on on Iraq and Afghanistan during during wars there. And, you know, it just means that people, it gets easier and easier to murder with no consequences. And that's not the kind of world that I want to live in. Um, So I think it's really, it's terrible that that's still, families are being denied closure. You know, you can't just say to someone like, I hit you, but, you know, forget about it, it's done. You need to apologize and make some sort of reparation, and what those reparations look like might be different for each case. But the, you know, the antagonist doesn't get to decide that; it's the victim that gets to decide that. You know, so I think that's that's why it's still important to talk about Bloody Sunday. Change directions a little bit here. Yes. I was hoping that either or both of you could talk a little bit
3: about what you think about the TV show Dairy Girls and how that is kind of influencing it's I think it's making people around the world, you know, learn more about about dairy and the city in an entirely different way.
5: Yeah. I mean you talked about dark tourists. Like now we're getting dairy girls tourists as well. <laughs> the amount of people that come into the museum and they'll be like, Where is the dairy girls mural? Do you know any of the dairy girls? Can you say can you say one of the phrases? It's lovely. It's brilliant. Um, and also, like everyone, people recognise our accent as well, which didn't used to happen. Yeah. Or, or they have positive connotations of mm. dairy, which is like lovely.
4: If, I think a lot of people were, including myself, were nervous about is this going to flop or is it going to going to sort of be sort of ridicule dairy in a, in a way? But it did the opposite, and as I mentioned about satir, satire and. and Funny stories that happened during the troubles and stuff as well. It just nails it right on the head, and, and, it's, and there's no equivocation. I mean, there's no sort of there's no way you can dress it up. It's as, as funny. It's as hilarious, but it's dairy. And see when people said some of the school girls who were my age and they went at school at the time, oh, we didn't go on like that. I they did. <laughs> yes, they did. They did. They cursed, they swore, and they talked the way they talked. and the stuff like that as well. And see that scene about the chip shop. Five bags of chips, six bags. That's, that's just so real. It's unbelievable how Lisa McGee and them young actors and actresses wrote, wrote and played out them parts. And I tell you, I mean, Derry is very, very proud of the Derry Girls. now. We have a mural right in the middle of the city centre, brilliantly painted mural, probably the best I've ever seen. And we're all looking forward to the third episode of Derry Girls and maybe the movie, we don't know. But, you know... <laughs> It is Dairy Girls. A movie would be the icing on the cake. Mm. Derry Ge- and again, it shocked me how many people from around the world watched Derry Girls and really, really enjoyed
5: it. Related to it as well, which I think is so important because, mm. again, with the you know with the whole question of dark tourism, it's very voyeuristic and you're from the outside looking in. Whereas what's lovely about Dairy Girls is so many. It's so, you know, that whole idea of like friendships and growing oh. up and it's it's so warm and it's it's such a cliche I hate when people say this but it actually is a love letter to Derry mm. it really comes across like you can just see that it was written with so much like love for um, Lisa McGee the writer's hometown
4: she which is I don't know good.
5: I feel really proud
4: so do I really really proud of it uh, and I just
5: yeah. I wish you know I think there should be more sort of series written by, by people from You know, and there should be, there should be like a, there should be ones about Strabane and and every tiny wee town. They really captured the speech patterns and some of the wee jokes and just the wee, the the phrases and like really well, (laughs) given that, you know, quite a few of the cast, they're Irish, but they're not all from Derry. Um, And the fact that it's kind of young women as well and, and, you know, and they swear and they, you know, I do like, I just think it could have been a series about like, Young men getting caught up in the violence, but mm. she just, you know, took it that different direction. I think that makes it that mm. much better, and maybe a bit unexpected, maybe a bit subversive, mm. but it just works one so line, well. Some of the one-liners are some
4: of the liners so are unbelievable, great, like so freedom, good. You know?
5: My favorite is "I'm not being an individual on my own." <laughs> 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 so good. That's
4: that's Derry people. Derry is full of characters, full of funny people, funny stories. We were full of characters in Derry, and. I think I think I'm a bit of a character as well. And they're even well known. If you go in the box, you'll know yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's good that people acknowledge that part of the city. Where, what's a crack? Dorch is my nickname. What's a crack? How are you getting on? And going, That's people really appreciating what the Bloody Sunday families are. The legacy that we're doing now, telling the stories. And then many people will meet you and hug you and shake hands and go, fair play. But it's brilliant. See, when you do a walking tour like that, and people ask you about dairy cars, and people ask you about this. And you're engaging people all the time. It's great. I get a great sense of uh, pride and satisfaction out of what we do.
2: Dyed Green is a project of Bog and Thunder, whose mission is to highlight the best of Irish food and culture through food tours, events and media. Find out more at bogandthunder.com.
3: We'd love to hear from you. If you have any story suggestions, questions or things you'd like to share in response to our broadcast, you can email us directly at dyedgreen@heritageradionetwork.org. at heritageradionetwork.org.